Welcome to our exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for Friday, July 10th. Each week, we check in with a leader across the firm to get a quick take on what's going on in markets. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. And today's guest, a repeat guest, is Tony Pasquarello, who's back on from the Global Markets Division. Tony sent out a note to institutional clients last week that sort of recapped the second quarter in markets. And we'll be talking about that today and what to expect from next quarter. Tony, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Jake. Good to be with you. Why don't you start by summarizing sort of the second quarter that just wrapped up and one of the key things to note about the big rally? Sure. So Q2 was a, it was a spectacular quarter for the stock market. Now we should probably preface this by saying Q1 was obviously dreadful. In fact, it was the worst Q1 in modern history. And so coming off that lower base, S&P rallied, call it 21% in the second quarter, which is a 99th percentile return. And that was the single best quarter since the fourth quarter of 1998. Beneath the surface of the index return, the best performers were essentially the higher beta and more cyclical laggards of Q1, autos, retail, energy stocks. And at the same time, that really didn't come at the expense of the more growthy or defensive parts of the market. For example, tech stocks continue to trade very, very well. So the moral of this story is the market and market breadth was truly superb. In fact, over 90% of the stocks in S&P 500 were positive in Q2. And the one last thing I'd note is that during the quarter, yields in the bond market barely moved. In fact, the US 10-year note yield moved four basis points lower. And so not only is that a story of one of the smallest quarterly changes on record, but I find it a little bit interesting that the bond market really didn't budge in the face of a scorching rally in risk assets. So we're early days in the third quarter. How would you characterize institutional investor sentiment at the moment? Are they after really bearish first quarter and a strong second quarter? How are they feeling about the market going forward? So as always, it, it always depends a little bit on where you look. But on net, I still think you can detect a pretty clear sense of cautiousness from institutional investors. Outlooks are certainly more positive than they were, say, three months ago. But there's still some lingering element of, call it, investor sobriety out there. So for example, each month we conduct a survey of the professional trading community via our quick poll app within Marquee. Marquee is our digital storefront. And in the most recent survey period, which ended just last week, when we asked, do you expect S&P to trade higher from here until the end of the year? Just one in three respondents said yes, just one in three. And so for as well as the market has traded off the lows of March, Again, I think there's a, a perceptible level of investor cautiousness that we can identify in formal ways like quick poll. And I'd say that's broadly corroborated by what I hear anecdotally from our large institutional client base. So in your note last week, you talked about the potential for a front-loaded extension of the rally into the Q3. What would the drivers behind that be? I'd point to a handful of factors and a handful of driving forces, which are somewhat specific to the very near term. The first is policy, which remains an overwhelming force within the markets. So we expect the Fed to continue to expand their balance sheet, and we expect the passage of a fourth fiscal package in the next month, which will add another $1.5 trillion of spending to the pile. And in step with this, we're seeing real interest rates in the U.S. continuing to move lower, which is a tailwind for the stock market, particularly those secular growth companies. The second factor is sentiment and positioning. Again, neither of which feel overly stretched right now, not just yet anyway. 
And then the last factor is what we refer to as market seasonals. And on this score, July seasonals are somewhere between good and superb. So for example, since 1950, S&P is higher in July 57% of the time for a median return of plus 120 basis points. Since 1940, the past nine times that S&P's rallied 15% or more in a given quarter, which it clearly did in Q2, it went on to rally in all nine subsequent quarters for an average return or median return, I should say, of 8.8%. And then here's the really interesting part. In the past 15 years, July is the single best month of the year for NDX, for the NASDAQ, with a recent trend of positive in 12 of the past 12 years for an average monthly return of nearly 4%. So you've also focused on the sort of dynamic between growth stocks and value stocks. Talk a little bit about what clients are seeing there and how they're reacting. Sure. Growth, outperforming value was a trend that was broadly in place throughout most of the post-GFC period. It essentially went into overdrive during the worst moments of the COVID crisis. And now it continues to make a higher high, even as the broad market has rebounded here. So what we're talking about here is spaces like tech and healthcare and parts of the consumer complex having outperformed more traditional industries, sectors like energy and mining, banks and transports. And there's been a lot of time devoted to trying to calibrate when value can begin to fight back and outperform. And while there's been some brief flashes of that recently, again, it hasn't been enough to really change the primary trend of growth over value. So I think clients are waiting on signs that a positive momentum in the global economic outlook remains durable, and perhaps some real confidence would come should hopes for a vaccine be realized. So I think really for value to work, it's, it's perhaps still a bit of a show me story right now. So it's, it's been a wild year, first down, then up. You say the fourth quarter has the potential to be even crazier, a little bit wild. Why is that in particular? I think we need to look no further than Tuesday, November 3rd, which is election day in the US. This is an event which will likely have major implications for the arc of policy in the next four years with specific regard to economic issues such as taxes and, and regulation and international trade. So it's a multifold story in every respect. And as we know from a year like 2016, be it Brexit or the last U.S. presidential election, there's certainly scope for a major reset in market expectations coming out of these events. And alongside that, Q4 will bring, hopefully, the continued evolution of vaccine and some of the COVID-related dynamics. Will we have a vaccine? Will there be a second wave? Will we have, hopefully, a broad return to school? And so these are deeply elemental issues which can significantly influence markets and market participants and, and, and the direction of global growth. So I guess if 2020 has taught us anything so far, Jake, it's that the low volatility period that characterized the prior five years is very, very clearly behind us now. All right. Well, Tony, thanks for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Jake, for having me. That's all for this week's Markets Update on exchanges at Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out our other episode this week with Zach Pandel of Goldman Sachs Research on the outlook for the U.S. dollar. Thanks for listening. Hope everyone has a great weekend. This podcast was recorded on Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. 
Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.